Hello and welcome to another episode of Fool's Daily. I'm still joined by the delightful Conrad. Don't you mean the buffoon? No, I mean the delightful Conrad. Okay. I've forgiven you for yesterday. Thanks. And I don't know if Dez has forgiven you, but we're also joined by Dez. I, I never forgive, nor forget. <laughs> no, I always forgive and forget. Hello. <laughs> um, and we're talking uh, Roots of Magic, which... Um, yesterday we learned all about the background and the fact that Des has written, and this may may have been off may have been off air, but three hundred thousand words of background. That's quite a lot, people. Three hundred thousand words. That's many many sheets of A4. Um, and so we learned about we learned about the six the six houses. Um, what we didn't learn is how you actually go about playing the game. So today, uh, we're going to learn that. So my first question, Des, is, right, I've rocked up. How do I build my wizard? And I assume, is, I mean, we, we said you said five to eight models. I assume his, his merry little band of helpers. That's right. So there is a... I do in the rule book. I do make a, it very clear on how to create a, a what I call a company, which is effectively a war band or uh, a crew or any other any other term is, is effectively interchangeable. Um, you will always have one wizard, and the wizard will have uh, what is called a sovereign cost, which is just like a points cost. Um, yep. You will agree with your with your opponent or opponents what the level of sovereigns will be, what the level of points will be, and then you will construct an army or a company rather based on that. Um, you've got a limit of one wizard because wizards are kind of vain fellows and or, or, or women and, and they, they don't really truck or, or allow people to, to countermand their orders. There's always one of those. Um, you can have up to one apprentice or acolyte, as it's called in the game. You can have up to one uh, guardian who is a, a very powerful vassal retainer, maybe a, a salt house soldier or a particular bodyguard for the wizard. Uh, you can have up to two what I call servant models, and they are, again, vassals or retainers of the house, but maybe at a lower level. So they'll do specific jobs. Maybe it'll be a scribe to write down the clever things that the Ascedian wizard says. Or maybe it will it, it will be a soldier to protect or to be a bodyguard of the, of the Durant wizard to make sure that people don't get to him and interfere with his spells. Um the last mo model type is called follower, which is more like a grunt or um, red shirt. Word. Yeah, red shirt <laughs> quality. And, and then you can have up to three of those. Um, now, obviously, if, if you have eight models, you have to have one of everything and then, and then the three grunts on the end um, or two servants as well. Or, or you can have just merely five models is the minimum for a, a company based game in which you can pick and choose what you're going to use based on whatever their sovereign costs are. Um, in addition to models, you do get things called artifacts, which are upgrades that certain models will be able to use. Um, the grunts and the servants aren't rich enough to have bought artifacts so that they won't be able to have any, but wizards and guardians and, and maybe acolytes will. And they will have a, a sovereign cost as well, and that will all tie into whatever the maximum limit that you've set is. Okay. Now, so here, these means my next question. Is everybody, every model, a named character as, say, Malifaux? Or is it much more 
um, type agnostic than that. Um, as as you, you said yesterday, like Frostgrave is. Right, so... No, it's much more like Malifaux to answer your question. All okay. the characters, with the exception of the followers, that do have a name title, but not necessarily personal names, are, are effectively characters. They will have their own backstory, they'll have their own look, and their special rules that fit in with the faction they play for and their own story. So one of them might be a cutthroat assassin who's got a big scar on his neck because he lost one fight in his career and now he's looking for the guy that beat him. Or one of them might be a apprentice wizard, an acolyte wizard, who is so upset at some heartbreaking thing that occurred in her life that she transmits that feeling to everyone around her if you get too close. And, and, and things like that. They have their own names and, and backstories and you can research more into those and, and hopefully... Um, a, feel like you you can pick your champions and the people that you like from the characters based on their story. Right. So so the rules and the models are very intertw- very intertwined then. Uh, is that is yeah. that fair to say? It it is fair to say. Obviously when that happens one has to be very careful because it's it's very easy to write story but to write rules that 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 are balanced or hopefully balanced and that give everyone also a lot of fun to play. Is, is a bit more difficult if, if you're not setting yourself to certain limits. So there are definitely things in the rules that, that replicate elements of their character or their backstory from time to time and from model to model. But it never gets to a point where it, it becomes overreaching and, and just because someone's very powerful in the story, they can't click their fingers and immolate people and get rid of them in a blink of an eye in, in the game rules. It, it plays much more like that fight between... Saruman and Gandalf, what I was talking about earlier, it, you have to trade blows, even with magic. Magic is powerful, but it, it's very difficult to completely kill a model in a turn based on magic, unless that's probably a grunt model or follower model. Right. Okay. Cool. So I've created my I've created my um, company. I've agreed with my I've agreed with my opponent that we're going to play X sovereigns. Yep. Um, what sort of table size and terrain density and things? Is it going to be something that I can that I've got in my collection already? Um, I mean, I remember when I first started Malifaux, I didn't have any three by three tables, and I didn't have anywhere near the terrain density that you need for a game of Malifaux. I mean, is it where where does it fit in that sort of thing? I mean, I'm I'm guessing from the the sculpts and things that you're putting together, that it's going to be again close to the Malifaux end rather than the dreaded war machine flat pieces of felt. Yes. I mean, obviously, I, having played war machine, I, I know Conrad and I play war machine. The game works better with that, you know, with that level of terrain, but that's not how it's going to be in my game. So it'd be much more like, um, Malifaux or God Slayer or games of that ilk. Um, the terrain that you choose that there are definitely rules within the game to accept any amount of terrain that you want to use. But unlike some games where, you can't have too much because it interferes with the game or you have to have a lot because the game rules are so cutthroat. If you pop your head out, you're going to lose it. Um, I hopefully am allowing people to make the choice of the level of terrain they want to have. Um, it will be, you know, Malifaux-ish in, in nature. So some trees, uh, things that block line of sight. Obviously, because of the backstory of my game, there's a lot of ruins in the game because the wizards are always looking for more information, more um, 
research done by this ancient race on on the secrets of magic. So they're always on the lookout for that and very often fighting in ruined places or tombs. But um, I've given very specific terrain rules that will allow models to not be necessarily negatively affected by it all the time. And in fact, you can interact with it. So I've got climb rules in my game, for example. You can climb on certain bits of of terrain if you want a bit of a better line of sight or you just feel that it looks cool. So you're looking at potentially setting up flavorous, flavory boards to, to meet with the background to a certain extent as well. Yes, for sh- I mean, for sure. Um, to, to answer Mike's question more ably, that, uh, it is three by three. Um, because of games such as Malifaux and, and others, three by three has, has become much more in vogue. And so it's far more likely people if they don't have it already, can gain easy access to it and the density being the same is similar. But the world background is a fantasy world. So much of the terrain that people have, if they've ever played any fantasy games whatsoever, will be appropriate. And I would encourage them to play out the story where they can. I've made the world very broad and I've made Malorian very, very wide and it has lots of different um, climates and different topography and so within that you've got lots of freedom there are deserts in the center there aren't that many ice caves unfortunately because it is effectively australia in their world so it's pretty warm there but um even within that there's lots of microclimates that that can be used and so i would encourage people to break out those ruins break out any other terrain they want to go with it and and make a board of it right so so i'm I'm getting there now i've got my i've got my uh, company I've I've set my board up. How do I actually play? <laughs> um, the game, as I alluded to in the first one and scared you both, is about resource aggregation and allocation. That's the way I, I say knew, it. I knew he was going to use that big phrase again. <laughs> so it's it simply every model has um, or generates a set of what I call action points, mundane action points that represent as a living human or or whatever the model will be, the energy they have inherent to themselves that allow them to do things such as walking, fighting, interacting, and and various other actions. So Um, will they be different levels for the the different types of figures? So you mentioned the wizards, the acolytes, the the grunts. Absolutely. There will be slight differences because, for example, guardians will have received a lot of training. So they can put the energy that they have as a as a person to better effect because they can do more things with it because they they know how to handle themselves whereas the follower type models will have maybe a couple of actions each because they're a bit more hesitant and and are waiting for direction from others so that sounds equivalent to the ap's sort of in in manifold to a certain extent absolutely what i would say is so far so average where the roots of magic is different because it's a game with magic in the title and it's a game focused on wizards, I wanted to represent the variable or or the empowering nature of magic. So one side of resource is the generic mundane APs or or action points that all models generate. On the other side is the variable resource of power points, which is generated by uh, magic. Um, Power points can be accrued in, in a couple of ways. They Every model in the game, with a, a few exceptions, which I won't go into now, has a amulet or a ring given to them by the House of Magic called a Source Stone. 
and that that is magically attuned to pick up energy from the route associated with your house. So every turn at the beginning of, of a round, each model that has one of these source stones generates a free action point called a power point that's on top of their mundane actions. Um, in addition, there will also be deployable um, sections of terrain and there'll be 40 millimeter bases or something appropriate. And I would invite modeling on them because I think it would be cool called nexus points. And they represent areas of Malorian where the root of your house is particularly strong and you can be close to it and draw more power points, more action potential from it. Um, now, it, when you set up your company or just before you set up your company, rather, you'll, you'll each have or each of the players will have two 40 millimeter nexus point markers that they can deploy within their half of the play area and they can place them anywhere they want within that half and they'll have to kind of figure out where they think the fights are going to be the most intense or where they want to, you know, try and draw combats or, or, or duels with their opponent because they have a very limited range for models absorbing extra actions from them. Uh, for wizards, you can absorb within six inches of a nexus point and for non-wizards, you have to be in base contact with it to get the extra um, power point, which is effectively an extra action point. Um, so that's a little bit different, but on, even on top of that, there is a section of the of the game at the beginning of each phase called, and I don't have a better name for this at the moment, but I'm constantly looking for one. It's called the absorption phase, where wizards, because they are very well attuned to the roots of their of magic that their houses um, practice, can actually absorb power tokens from allied models within a certain distance, so they can take the extra actions that the other models are accruing and put them on themselves. And that will allow them to either take many more actions within a turn than they normally could, or it will allow them to activate very powerful effects that they have on their cards, abilities and att attacks rather, that they have on their cards that they normally couldn't activate because in, a, in an average turn, perhaps they wouldn't generate enough um, action points in order to do that. So every every turn that you play, you have to make a choice. Do I need my company to do lots this turn? If the answer is yes, you're going to have to try and keep uh, action points and power points where they lie because you're going to need everyone to maximize their potential. Or you might think, actually, I need my wizard to do a lot more work this round. He's got or she's got some very powerful spells and abilities I need to make maximum use of. So I need to absorb those extra action points in called power points into my wizard. And each wizard has a certain level that they can store on them, so they can't take everything necessarily, but they can they can get far more than any non-wizard. And then the wizard will go to town using all of their crazy abilities that are quite cool and doing doing what the uh, the game is meant to be. You know, it's focusing on what the game is meant to be about by the sounds of things, which is the wizard himself. Exactly. Doing, for for doing... me, wizards are like like uh, I always see wizards a bit Dungeons and Dragony. You know, they have to build up their power, they have to focus their power, they have to concentrate on their spells and smash things around as well. And in order to get those spells off, in order to, to be the most effective, you know, the wizards will have very low-cost action abilities, um, maybe one or two actions, and, and they'll be easy things to get off because that's things that they do every day and they know it like the back of their hand and they don't have to prepare that much. But they'll all have powerful abilities or attacks that can only be accessed with 
lots more actions than you normally would get. So, um, as as you mentioned, the amulets as well. That's inbuilt into every wizard, essentially, is it? Every wizard, every model, in fact. Okay. So, with the exception, and I will go into it now, seeing as it keeps coming up, the exception of one of the factions, because they're not real wizards, they don't, they're not attuned to any route, and so this... having a, a source stone would do nothing. Okay, so that's the house that you mentioned at House Ching. So yeah. They they work slightly differently. They they absorb magic energy from enemy models rather than generate it themselves. Okay. Right. So, I mean, you mentioned cards, so it sounds like you're going with the the current modern trend of every model having a, a card and being able to track everything via that mechanism. Is that right? That, that's right. Uh, it's, it's a mechanism that I'm familiar and comfortable with. And because my cards will have uh, quite a lot of actions or attacks on them, and those actions and attacks might have special keywords that will need to be researched in the rule book it's good to have something to focus your attention on rather than asking people to check the rule book many times during a game until they know everything off by heart so the cards are an easy focus point for reference telling you what the wizard will do how it will do it and any peculiar ways it might interact with either other models or or the terrain so i know for a fact that some mock-ups unlike the uh the ching artwork that that is on the Facebook page. That's right. So uh, I've recently been working with a very talented um, graphic uh, designer, and he's come up with some lovely, lovely artwork cards for me. That there'll be two cards, so it's less like Malifaux, which has the the one card, um, unless you buy upgrades, of course, and and more like I guess War Machine, where there are there are two cards in, in the Roots of Magic. One of the cards is called the Character Card, which will have the basic statistics of the the model, some nice, lovely artwork. Um, tell you who it is and and where they're affiliated and on the back of that card if this model has any keywords i will put the rules for those keywords on the back of that card so that you don't have to go back to the rule book the second card is an abilities on one side and actions on the other side so you can you know you don't have to keep flipping cards necessarily back and forth to look at what the general statistics are and what the attacks are There'll be two cards for that. The abilities and the actions are on one separate card called the actions card. Okay. So I mean, let's 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 just take a quick digression to look at a card. And folks um, who are listening along, you can go to uh, Roots of Magic on Facebook, or you can look at um, the uh, what's this show called? Fools Daily Facebook <laughs> page. Because um, we'll share that we'll share the article across. So we've, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a card in front of me. Um, and I'm looking at Friar Sarpeth, the voice of dark wisdom. Yes, um, indeed. He looks he looks dodgy, frankly. Um, <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to buy a used car from this man. No, you would not. He he look he he yeah, definite geezer. This guy. But there is um, an element. So there's an element of actually, you look quite kind as well about him, I think, in that artwork. You think so? Yeah. Oh, I think he just looks, I think he just looks like dodgy as hell. <laughs> is, is it the the blood smears all over his clothes that give it away? Yeah, they're, they're not great, and I'm not particularly fond of this green magic coming off his hand either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told so, the artist it had to look sickly, like you wouldn't want to catch it. <laughs> he's done a good job. So he's from, is it pronounced Acedia? 
That's right. So acidia is actually a, a real word. It's a, it's a synonym for apathy. Ah, right, okay. So, um, so that's the house suggestion, and he's a wizard. Yes. Um, right, so it, it says magic, and it says callous. What? Absolutely. Magic is a, is a key word in the game, and its real use is in terms of targeting. Certain models will have abilities that either can only be used against models with the magic keyword, or right. get bonuses against it. So if, if you were to imagine the back of this card, it would you'd be able to turn it over, you'd be able to see the word magic, and then it would have the description of, of what I've just said, of the, of the rules of that keyword. Whereas callous is a in-game action. It says that if this model um, does damage to a friendly model at the beginning of the turn, then he will gain an extra power point because he will gain power from being cruel. Right, okay. And, so the, and then we have some stats across the... Some stat numbers along the bottom yep. um i'm i'm get i'm gonna guess based on the symbols which i always think is you know a useful thing to be able to do okay. um movement correct appears to be arrows um i would guess that the shield is defense absolutely the head some sort of mental defense against magic it's, it's willpower very close yeah um the coins are how much he costs cost to put in the game that's the sovereign cost absolutely oh you've been listening yeah. <laughs> the hearts are his life yep the number of wounds and he's he's got 17 that seems quite a lot he's a big burly fellow um much like spooning a tome um the number of spells he has or the power of his spells no that's the number of uh, artifacts that he can attach like spell ah, books or right. wands and so forth Okay, cool. And then I'm guessing that the big number um, with the star, is, is that the number of action point or magic point things that he has? That's right. That's what we call his power limit. So he may have up to seven additional power points or extra action points, depending on how you want to say it, that he can use in any one turn. Cool. Okay. So, all right. So the sim the symbols were i was i always get worried when people put symbols on cards and things because you know if it's not intuitive then you'll get you've got players who are going what does that one mean again and i ran into I that could never remember the wrath of kings ones i still had to refer back yeah yeah exa exactly and and it you know it forms such an important part of the game these days so that, that so that's uh, there you go Des. So there's a a thumbs up from me there. <laughs> thank you um, cool so so and they're they the coming I mean, you know again people can look at these the cards are really really nice that you're putting together I mean they they certainly convey that that magic feel um with with the art and the art involved and things so so I've got my cards I've got my card I've I've set up I I know that I can generate action points and things what am I trying to do in the game am I just trying to blast my opponent my opponent off the table or um, that's always going to be part of any game there's always there's always players out there and I, i'm probably one of them that enjoys doing damage fighting between models maybe at the cost of of other things that you could be doing to ensure victory so that that'll be that'll be one side or mad dogging as i like to call it <laughs> that, that, that's one part of it but at the same time not all of the factions work the same way so Unless I made every one of the six factions very good fighters, for example, that wouldn't be fair if that was what the game was about. So there are also objectives in, in, in the game which favour slightly the, the more 
not necessarily passive factions, but the less aggressive factions. So there are multiple ways to win any game via the death of um, the wizard and a significant percentage of the opposing company as well. So a bit like a bottle roll from Necromunda. So it doesn't necessarily end when you kill the wizard, incidentally, but it's not like War Machine in that respect, or via a number of objectives. And I've I've created a few. I'm not going to talk about them too much here, but they're you know if you've played other objective games, it won't be too dissimilar, ex- with the exception that generally because it's about magic, the objectives have to be a bit more interesting. So it's not a tree that you interact with, for example, and everyone can do it and it just stays there. In my game, if you have to interact with a magic orb, for example, that orb will run away from you to prevent you from doing it multiple times. You'll have to chase it around. Or you'll be ringing magical bells to summon <laughs> summon a genie or something like that. So they'll have they'll, they'll be objective concepts, but also those objectives will have further rules that will hopefully make the game a bit fresher and more interesting. And I'm planning to create a few more of those just to give people a range of a range of uh, games to play. So these sort of scenarios then that you're talking about and such? Uh, effectively. Um, I want it to be a bit more freeform than that, rather than saying, okay, there are six scenarios, roll a d6, you know, incidentally my game's d10 by the way, so you'd have to get another d6 and figure out which one you're playing. Um, I would rather that there are that you can mix and match elements. So this t- terrain setup potentially with this set of objectives, or you can mix and match to to keep it a bit fresher. So okay. that will involve a bit more testing, of course. But but that would be my that would be my aim. So you mentioned D10. So how, how does I mean how do you cast the spell, for instance, or, or do how do you hit someone over the head type thing? Sure. Well, it's no, it's not all... in real life. Well. <laughs> I was obviously going to go into a detail about that. That's my hobby. Um, now, in the game, it's all based on a D10 roll. Um, for a, there, are, there are two types of actions that we're going to talk about for the purposes of, of rolling dice, because movement doesn't cost you a dice roll. Um, abilities, which tend to be spells that um, assist or debilitate. Um, they don't necess- They usually don't do damage, so it might be a spell to teleport yourself or or a friendly model, for example, or it might be a spell to magically induce a feeling of weariness in an opponent or to teleport them or, or something of that respect. That will have a target number. So on the card, and uh, I did post the cards up on on the Facebook page as well to to describe them. It will it will tell you the cost of the action. It will tell you what type of action it is. Is it a magic attack? Is it an attack or, or at all? Is it is it something mundane? Um, and it will have a target number and give you a certain amount of dice that you roll. If you meet that target number or exceed it, the spell goes off. For an attack, it's very similar. It will have a certain cost. More powerful attacks will cost you more actions. And as part of paying the cost, you'll be given the right to roll a certain number of dice and there'll be some effects to go with it. So, for example, it might say, cost one, melee attack with a range of one inch, um, you get one die. If you hit, the opponent takes one damage. Something like that. So you'll roll one dice, and if on that D10 you match or exceed the defense of the model that you're targeting, you score a hit and will apply one damage. And that target number is, I'm guessing, tied in not only for like the spells and things, but tied into some of the stats on the card. If you, I'm guessing that if you want to hit somebody with a weapon, that you'd be looking at like the defence on 
stat on the card type thing. That's right. So in, in general, for simplicity, I know I know a lot. I've played a lot of games in my time. Some of them you have to roll to hit, then you have to roll to wound, <coughs> and when you roll that wound, you might not even actually score proper damage. It might only do something like uh, debilitate slightly for for a temporary amount of time. But but in this game, I'm trying to simplify the action. So it's the dice against defense, and very rarely the dice against will. That tends to be a specific ability of, of House Merc, but they, that's their target number that they have to equal or beat in order to get the spell off. Okay. So uh, once once you've sort of gone through the game, is there any progression or anything like that? It's not. A, is it an RPG type thing, or is it fixed? It's it's fixed stats. It is, it, it is it is fixed stats from yeah. the character's point of view. Uh, obviously, everyone has seen Frostgrave by now, and that's far more um, an RPG type miniatures game in which there is a campaign system and you can progress. And you know, everyone loves those type of games, myself included. This one is more of a, I would say it's like the current design ethos for games where they're character heavy. Most models will have specific names and backstories and work in, in um, idiosyncratic ways. And, and in that respect, I'm much more mainstream um, and, and the game works along those lines. Okay. So I'm looking at the clock and I know we've been talking for half an hour. Um, and as these episodes are only supposed to be 15 minutes, so I can't remember the last time we did a 15 minute one, frankly. Um, perhaps we should call it a, uh, an episode now. And then tomorrow we could come back and we could talk about where you're, basically where you are and where you want to get to. And perhaps tackle some of the, the issues that you've come across trying to get this from, fevered thoughts in your head to you know the i mean it's reality now but is it you know the reality that you want it to be for sure brilliant so yeah i thought so that's why i said it (laughs) so until tomorrow i've been mike i've been conrad and i have been des because that's what it says in my underwear He's still trying to create his own (laughs) own things, isn't he? Bye-bye. Bye. You can contact Fools Daily on Twitter. We're at Fools Underbar Daily. Or via email, foolsdaily at outlook.com.